Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. Yes, it's the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Thrilled right now about the uh, guest we're about to have on. Bruce Frazier, his friends call him Q. Uh, He's a Warriors player, development coach, assistant coach, but he's much more than that. He's the guy that has uh, done great things to improve Steph Curry's game, Clay Thompson's game, uh, Draymond Green's game, Harrison Barnes. Uh, The players rave about him. The coaching staff raves about him. He's got a a long storied history of, of coaching and uh, and his friends speak very highly of him. So, of course, was excited to try to get uh, NBA world champion Bruce Frazier on. Bruce, how, how's that sound? That's a pretty big introduction. I mean, that's a lot of credit for uh, showing up to a talented team and uh, taking the accolades for their, for their talent. But uh, I appreciate the some of the some of the thoughts I'm uh, I do work with those guys you know I have a good relationship with them I think our whole team you know has grown in many ways I was a part of that but certainly don't want to take credit for making Steph Curry Steph Curry I mean he was he was really good before I showed up but I think our team collectively got better and that was a that was a really good thing yeah well I I know that you're talented and, and humble as as I've heard and so uh, I can understand that, but I still want to make sure you get get the credit that's due. Uh, Bruce, the remarkable thing about your story that I found, and actually there's many remarkable things, but in doing some research, uh, it's your story in terms of getting to the Warriors is extremely unique. You, you just don't hear about it. And I, I just want to run through some of your background and then ask you some questions specifically to that. And then we'll go back into the, the warrior stuff, the present day stuff for right now. But from what, what I've gathered, you played at Long Beach City College under your dad, Bill Frazier, then played at Arizona. Then you were a graduate assistant at Arizona, then worked at 20th Century Fox, then coached as an assistant with the Pacers under Larry Brown, then worked at Oakley in their marketing department um, you know, with guys like Jordan Pippen, Rodman. Reggie Miller, then coached at Missouri, worked with Harvey Mason, uh, the music studio exec, and then worked with Youth Hoops in Southern California, and then as a scout with the Suns, and that all ends up bringing you to the Warriors assistant in 2014. A ton of that stuff. 
Uh, and I, and I want to dive right from the start. So let's go from the beginning here. You, you played at Long Beach City College for your dad, uh, legendary coach Bill Frazier. Uh, how, how did that happen as opposed to you going to a major school right out of high school? Well, actually, it was a little bit of a peace deal for my, for my dad, um, or I don't know if that's the, the correct term, but I, I signed with Arizona or committed to them. There wasn't an early signing date back then, but I committed uh, to Arizona out of high school. Uh, Coach Olson had just taken the job, and so that summer he recruited me, and my dad and he were, were pretty good friends because Lute was from had, – had, started some or was in Long Beach for part of his career and was mm-hmm. a high school coach in this area. So my dad being a coach and coach Olson being a coach, there was, we were sort of friends. There was friends. As soon as, as soon as Luke took the job at Arizona, that became an interest for me. I was considering Stanford and some other schools on the West coast. Uh, and then as soon as he took that job, it became more attractive to me. That school, I took a visit and I ultimately committed, but, part of the deal was my dad thought I needed to get stronger, you know, develop a little bit more. And he thought it would be better and maybe better for him too, if I went to the JSP for a year. <laughs> so that was sort of, you, you can't say no to your dad. And, you know, at that, that point you're young. And so I just, I went to the JC based on sort of a one-year agreement. And then I went from there on to Arizona. So that was, that's how that sort of happened. Hey, your dad has the ultimate recruiting pitch. So, yeah. Oh, understandable. <laughs> so, so then you go and play for Lute Olson, really at a time when Arizona uh, came into its own as a, a national powerhouse. You're from '83 to '87. You're there, uh, and you developed some relationships with some some guys who really went on to do some big things uh, in the basketball world. Can you tell me about that? Well, I mean, you know, being under under in that in that era, uh, we had we weren't very good to start with the, the Olsen program. And then we ultimately, you know, Sean Elliott, Craig McMillan, we signed some really good players that were better than probably, especially Sean, better than people knew. So our, our program with the coaching and the players and the chemistry grew pretty, pretty quickly. And we became a power in the West and ultimately we're, we're in the final four in 88. And then, a you know, we were, we were then from that point on sort of a perennial power in the West with that, with that success came exposure and, you know, other coaches. And so the, the, the guys I played with in that era, we were all very close as teammates and friends. Some of them went on to do, you know, things in different areas, you know, especially Steve, uh, but there's a lot of them were in basketball. So I think just based on that, you know, it opened doors that I didn't imagine being opened um, in other areas and also in basketball. So I, I being a, a son of a coach, had basketball in my blood. So you spoke of sort of my resume. It's not the, it's not the roadmap that you draw for most people to, to be where I am today. <laughs> Usually if you're going to be a coach, you stay in that lane and you work your way up. I had an entrepreneurial spirit too and opportunities that, that presented themselves, so I jumped around a little bit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that necessarily, but it broadened my perspective on, on the game, on people, on life. So I think looking back, those were all learning experiences and great experiences. But I think I'm in the right lane 
you know, now um, in a great, great group, great, you know, being with Steve and I worked with him in Phoenix too in the front office. But all those experiences, I think, have helped me, uh, to, you know, to be where I am now. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to all that. The the you bring up Steve Kerr. Did you know how good that he could be? Certainly as a, as a shooter. Did you realize how how good of a player he actually was? Like, are you saying that I know he was going to be a great player, or did I know he was going to be a great coach when he was a player? What are you? Are you- uh, a great player. I'm wondering if you if you knew at the time that. Uh, as you were playing with him early on, did you did you see the makings of a of a great player? No, I mean he was he was great at Arizona. He was the reason he was great is because he was smart and because he was he was a great shooter, phenomenal shooter, great hand eye coordination, great he's great at many sports. He's a better athlete than people give him credit for. You know, it also depends on how you define athlete. Sometimes people define athlete as just some physically gifted speed, strength jumping ability I wouldn't say that his athleticism is more I mean he's he's faster than you think but his athleticism comes in his hand-eye and and his accuracy and his ability to you know see things on the floor so he was he was very good at that Um, I don't think he or I or anyone at that point would have imagined that he'd play 14 years in the NBA and win five championships that's (laughs) that if someone told you that they they would have predicted that they're they're crazy, so <laughs> I think I think this, his success came in in where he was able to stay in the league long enough and then ultimately find himself in the with the right team where he was a, a good fit and had tenure and understood the game and was mentally tougher in those places once he got to Chicago. So he was lucky, honestly, to stick around the league, but also shows you know, some of his grit and determination, people don't, you know, realize that about him either. I mean, I've, I've referred to him jokingly as a, as an active volcano. When you look at a volcano and it looks just like a mound or a mountain, it doesn't look like much. You're like, well, there's a lot inside that guy. That thing, like that thing's active. But you look at Steve, he looks pretty plain. He's super nice. He kind of walks, you know, the normal walks and talks like the normal folk. And then, you, you know, there's a fury inside him that, that helped him with his basketball career and also with his coaching. You know, he's, a, he's fiercely competitive. So that, that trait along with his, you know, accuracy as a shooter and his intellect as a player allowed him to allowed him the success that he had. How much do you think you both took away from Lute Olson? Oh, a ton. I mean, that's, you know, we, we, we were there, he was there the year before I got there, but we were there in the early stages of a program that had been down. I think they were either four and 23 or three and 24 the year before Lou Olson got there. They were one in 17 in the pac 10. Um, and so we, we got there early when the program was being built. So when you see what goes into building a program and you're a part of it, you, you understand better what, what, what it takes. Um, not only as a player, but as a coach, what you can go back and look at the things that happened that made it successful. So I think we both learned like how to build a program, what the important mm. ingredients of that were. Um, also, with, you learn how to, you know, Coach Olson was, a, was great at player development. He was great at, 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 you know, bringing a group together, maximizing 
you know, individual potential and collectively bringing it together. Um, team was huge, like selflessness, you know, chemistry, family, um, sharing the ball, ball movement, you know, the little things, screening, how you're going to guard. Like, there's, you know, Coach Olson was so good at, at – he was very detailed. Um, he kept things – there was never too many highs or too many lows. So it, we we were strategic and we we went about our business in a pretty, you know, direct way. I think, you know, all those things, you know, for our team at, our, teams at Arizona, also the pieces had to fit. And Steve mentions that a lot. Mentioned it as a GM, mentions it now when we're talking about, you know, players. And the pieces have to fit um, and the chemistry has to work. Those are those are a huge ingredient. And I think you saw that this year with our Warriors team. You know, they had great chemistry before we got there, but we cultivated it. We, we, we took their sort of chemistry or their culture and, and improved on it. Um, and that was How do you think you do that? Us. How do you think you do I that? Think, I, think, I think it's a tricky thing. You have, to have, you have to have the right kind of people to start. If you don't have good guys, character guys, it's hard. You can still do it, but it's hard. So we were fortunate to have great guys with great character, great, great talent, you know, good character. Um, everyone has sort of a selfish part of them just naturally. So everyone wants to do well on their own. So you had a lot of our guys had to sort of take lesser roles, Andre Iguodala, David Lee, most mm-hmm. space, like these guys had to sacrifice. Now I wouldn't say they were completely happy with some of that to start. So Steve was really good with, being honest, you know, being honest as a group, being honest with them individually and in talks. But I think, I think you generate a culture with, with all the pieces fitting and, and everything being cohesive. Like our, our coaching staff is very cohesive. We get along really well. The players see that we, we included the front office more in things uh, where they weren't included before. And I think that was great. They were so from the top to the bottom, all the there's there's cohesiveness and everything fits. Once you have that and that starts to take place, I think then you you sort of have to, you know, just like, you know, our practices we we included like humor in practices. We included music. We did we kept things fun, but we also were trying to accomplish things. So there has to be a blend of, you know, it can't be just monotonous in this league you can't every day can't be the same or the play, you start to lose the players a little bit so i think we tried to keep things new fresh um exciting but also you know we were driven and we demanded that we get you know that we guard that we move the ball and so i think it's you know it's the culture was important and i think also just strategically with with and we can get to some of this later but with our ball movement the way we change things offensively the early success really helped us um, with with the culture and the strategic side of it. An interesting part about uh, what you describe in terms of, you know, both the technical aspect, you know, you talk about philosophically and then technically. From the technical aspect, so you coached under Larry Brown. And yeah. uh, from what I understand, learned a lot from him. He, when I've watched Larry Brown through the years as a coach, I mean, stressed the fundamentals and always talked, you know, ad nauseum about, you know, playing the right way. 
Uh, the thing is, though, everyone who played for him or coached under him always talks about the idea that he believes in that. It's it's not cliche. Um, what what did you? And I know again, all encompassing, but but what did you learn about the game of basketball? You had already been the son of a coach who had now played and as a graduate assistant coached under Lute Olson. What did you learn basketball wise from Larry Brown? Well, that's a, there's, I mean, there's a lot in that, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a basketball genius. You know, he's, um, he's so bright with the game, but it's funny you say, you know, play the right way. Cause that is a Larry thing. And, um, you know, I think he's, you know, not to be too generic or vague, but he believes in ball movement and mm-hmm. cutting and moving. He likes pace. He likes players that can guard, you know, multiple positions and run. And he believes most guys can score. So, so, so guarding and um, length and speed are, are usually important to him. Um, ball movement's important, you know, creating for others and um, just, detailed things with how you guard, you know, just the, you know, pick and roll and how, how you guard certain things. But the one, one really good thing about Larry that I remember was, you know, he didn't like, you know, a lot of teams in the NBA will, will call plays out and the defense will look at their bench and let, and they'll figure out what they're doing. And Larry didn't, Larry liked to teach guys how to play without guarding against plays. He always felt like if, if the play, if you, if you just guarded against plays, you were ultimately going to get beat by that. Just trying to guard against oh. plays. So he taught he taught the game from a, a sort of a bigger level. Like if this if this exists, you know, like Alvin Gentry said, there's a million roads that lead to ten places in our league. You know, you can get you can run all this stuff, but it ultimately leads to a high ball screen here, or side pick and roll, post up, and how you guard those things ultimately makes a difference. It's based on your your rules and team some of based on the personnel, but I think Larry was really good at teaching the game both both sides of the ball um, in a simple way, but also in a strategic way. So he was, I think, I don't want to say ahead of his time, but he he didn't. There was still a lot of isolation that went on then. It goes on now in our in our game. Larry wasn't a big isolation guy. Our team's not an isolation team. Some coaches like that, some don't. You know, Larry would I think would have loved our team and the pieces that we have on the Warriors because he would have probably played very he would have you know done similar things with us. That's it's fascinating. It's also interesting because to me the the, the two greatest strengths of of a coach are a can you get your your team to buy into whatever it is that you're you're preaching, uh, however that is whatever your your methodology is, and then and then b how do you work with the personnel that you're at your given and how can you adjust to that? And it's fascinating to watch. It was fascinating to watch Larry Brown's career because you talk about ball movement and you see, you know, he, he went to the finals with the Sixers team that had essentially one major score and he made up a team of defensive players essentially around him. Uh, so for his adaptability, it was really fascinating to, to watch him go through the different iterations throughout his career. I, after so after time with the Pacers, you worked at Oakley for a number of years. Then you were an assistant coach at Missouri, and then, like I said, working a movie studio uh, with Harvey Mason, the music producer. But eventually, with the back and forth, Steve uh, Steve Nash it keeps it's a name that's synonymous with your career. It keeps coming up with when people describe <laughs> your ascension. Uh, 
so you become a scout for the Suns in 2004 uh, when, when Steve Kerr is the general manager. Can you tell me about your relationship with Steve Nash? Well, our, our, we, we're really, really close friends now. And uh, our, our relationship kind of started when I was with him. And uh, more in the summer, you know, I didn't do much with him during the year. But in the summer, he'd come down to, to the north county of San Diego and, you know, hang, go to the beach, surf a little bit, and then we'd, we'd work out together. And it started to become more of a normal routine. And our, our relationship grew through you know, work, our workouts and also just being friends. So, you know, I learned a lot from him on a sort of development side. Um, I don't want to say I trained him, but I worked with him a lot. So you could say I did, but I was sort of learning from him more than I was doing, you know, more than he, than I was, I wasn't coaching him as much as I was learning, but I, I, I saw his method and asked, asked the appropriate questions. And then we, we over time became really, really good friends. Um, I still, you know, I mean, I'm, there's been articles and mentions of him, but I still pick his brain. He's a really good resource uh, for me, and he's been a good resource indirectly for Steph um, in certain ways, you know, through me that, that, you know, for his knowledge and his experience on what he's gone through. With Steve Nash, it seems like you've been involved with some of the greatest shooters of all time throughout your career. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, Reggie Miller with the Pacers, uh, yeah. obviously Nash, Steph Curry and Clay with the Warriors, and with uh, Steve Kerr, and and also Matt Mulebach from Arizona. I, I want to throw <laughs> his name in the mix too. Uh, a mutual friend of ours. A, what do you think it is, the, the trait that all these great shooters have? And the second part of this question is, uh, how would you – who do you put at the top the top of that list? That's a tough one. I mean, that's – you know, they, 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 they're different. They're different shooters. Like, they all mm-hmm. have – if you put them – if you put those guys at a spot and had them just shoot from the spot, they'd all be pretty close. You know, they, they would – they would trade wins, I guess, or makes like someone, you know, if you shot the, the 10 or 20 and best out of that, they would, you would have different winners, different times, but, um, you know, they're, they're all gifted with hand, with, you know, hand eye coordination, stream accuracy. Um, they, uh, and they put, they all, all those guys put in a lot of time, uh, to their craft. Um, I, I'd say they all, in their workouts go back to the basics at times where they really hone their skills of just, of just the shot itself. Um, and then they, they stretch themselves in different ways. Steph's, Steph's an amazing, amazing shooter, amazing hand-eye. He's, he's shot millions of shots, but I think the gift of his, aside from being a great shooter, is his ability to shoot it off the dribble and the ability to move defenders to create his space. He's, he's, stronger than he looks. He's real torquey and he's really gifted at being able to just take the ball in places and move you and then and then pop to places and make those shots with crazy accuracy. Kerr wasn't that kind of shooter where he could move you like that off the dribble and still make those shots. Kerr was a catch and shoot guy, so he relied on the other players but he created space and if you if he had space with great players around him, then they had to honor that. So he created he created space for his other guys, for for Jordan, for for Chipman, 
for those guys. But if you throw Kerr a ball and he's got an open shot, it's going in. He is a great catch-and-shoot shooter. You know, Reggie was a great catch-and-shoot shooter too, but Reggie was great at coming off curls and catching off of the move. He was maybe the best ever at that. Like this, I mean, you know, I know Rip Hamilton was good, but Reggie had crazy range. Steph has crazy range. Better than, you know, Steph and Reggie both have extended range past what Nash or Kerr have. Um, but Reggie was really good off the catch. And then aside from being able to just shoot, a, you know, catch and shoot. And then Nash, I think, was really good off the dribble, but he sets a lot of stuff up with his craftiness ability to get into places and pockets and, you know, he was so crafty with passing that he sets up a lot of his shots based on um, off his pass or his, you know, he, he was crafty um, and he could shoot it off the dribble and off the catch. I mean, they can all shoot it in different ways. So Nash, Nash and Steph are similar in that regard where they can shoot it off the dribble really well. I think, I think Steph might be a little faster, quicker than Nash, but Nash craftier and sort of cagier with the way he set things up. He'd do something and then he, he would set you up with one thing and then he'll come back knowing that he got you on that and he'll get you on something else that you did that you did based on the first thing. And then he'll get you again. And so he's actually talked to me about that with some of the ways Steph can improve his game. So I think, you know, an exciting thing for me is to sort of maybe get Steph and and Nash together this summer and discuss more of the cerebral part of the game. All those guys, though, phenomenal shooters. I wouldn't bet against any of them. If you if you put them in a contest or bet, you know, Steph or any of those guys, once once there's a game, it doesn't even matter about the money, but once you put them in a game where they're, they're trying to win, they're all fiercely competitive and phenomenal shooters. So I, I wouldn't bet against any of them. I would, it'd be unfair to pick who's the best. <laughs> the you, you talked about uh, Nash and Curry and you know some of their similarities. Certainly, shooting off the bounce and it, what's interesting to me is Clay Thompson when he first entered the league. I I, I thought the um, you know we always make the NBA comparison. I always thought very similar to Reggie Miller in terms of his ability to get shot off quickly at his size, uh, coming around curls, uh, quick release, all those things. Do you talk to Steph and Clay about guys you've coached in the past and tricks that they used? And 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 you sort of talked about the idea that Nash has somewhat advised Curry. Does that actually go on, not just you telling them, but also the players themselves reaching out? I mean, a little bit. You know, I'm I'm careful, you know, being new and you know, I, mm-hmm. I there are some some you know tips to what they're doing. Um, but, both, you know, Clay, and, and this year in particular, Clay is a very proficient shooter, so is Steph. So, you know, th- there's not a lot of adjustments or advice that they need. I mean, Clay, Clay is different from Steph in that he doesn't shoot off the bounce as well or as much, but he's, he's capable of it. But what Clay, the unique thing about Clay is he has size and he doesn't need space, not just because of his size, but his shot's a little more compact. He doesn't rely on, in my opinion, the rhythm that Steph relies on. Steph needs to create the space to also generate his rhythm. He doesn't He doesn't need his – he's able to get his shot off with less less rhythm than most. I don't know if that's, that's – I'm not articulating that well, but Clay does not need space. Like, 
you can be up on Clay thinking that you have him, and he'll just raise up on you. He doesn't need to dip the ball. He can mm-hmm. he can catch it like you say, coming off of ten downs or curls, and he'll be and he can raise up. He can catch it, you know, running, you know, from down the floor and transition, and all of a sudden, and when he catches it, the ball can go from wherever he catches it into his shot. He's amazing that way, where he doesn't rely on a lot of rhythm, but he's technically so sound, and his shots the exact same every time. That I think if you ask you know, a basketball purist or a real shooting guru who shot they would rather have. They may choose Clay over steps as far as the mechanics of it. Hard to say, but Clay doesn't need much rhythm, and he can get rid of it quickly, and you may think you have him, the ball is gone, and he's a deadly shooter, deadly shooter. He can he could be better at times, you know, as he matures with some of his shot selection and getting his feet and feed into it a little bit more, you know, balance more. But he's such a good shooter that he believes he's going to make every shot, no matter how he enters it. And that's probably his, his strength and his weakness. Once he starts to mature more as a shooter, he, he's deadly. One thing I noticed about Clay's game, which I found to be so unique, is that I, I don't know that I've seen a player in, in recent memory that a lot of times coming off screens and such, when he is handling the ball, he'll almost have like a push dribble that – goes out ahead of him and I don't think most players would think to do that. Do you know where that comes from? Not really. I mean I can make something up but I think it's just <laughs> part of I mean I you know I could I could lie and say, yeah, I know why he does that. He tries to move but but I've I've seen it. Um you know, I think it's a way that he may move the defender a little bit and also he he's comfortable entering into his shot that way. I, that's the way I so I would believe that I, I can't honestly say I know why he does it, but I've, I, I, but I understand. I've seen what you're speaking of. I, with all these guys, it seems like the recurring theme is is uh, a lot of confidence. They they all seem to have confidence. I, certainly, it can waver. We know that over the course of a game, over the course of a season. H- how do you instill confidence with all these players? I mean, I, I honestly don't, you know, like they're, 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 they're pros. They've, they've shot so many shots. They've instilled their own confidence in themselves. Um, you know, so it's, I, a, someone like me or even Steve isn't, doesn't instill confidence in them. I mean, maybe, you know, with Steve, he'll put them in positions to get an easy shot early or he'll run something for them to get them a shot in a certain place to get them going. But the honesty, and you said it, is that they're, they're confident players. You know, Steph had some bad shooting games or poor, not bad for him in some of the in some of our, you know, playoff games and even during the season at times. But he's, he's a confident player. Like, he believes the next one is going to going in. And even if he didn't shoot it well one night, it has, for him it has nothing to do with coming out and thinking he's not going to shoot it well the next night. So I think those – I don't think those players are born within the – internal confidence i think it's developed over time that the condition thing they've 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 taken so many shots and so many big shots from the time they were little that that's something that's ingrained in them and someone someone like me or anyone else doesn't really instill that instill that confidence they have that was there a point in this season in which you thought well actually let me phrase it this way at what point in the season did you realize 
that you had a team capable of winning the, the NBA title? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think Steve mentioned it early on in our, in our tenure um, that he thought we had all the pieces that we needed to, to win a championship. And he also said in that, that same time that he wasn't going to mention that word again because he, he felt that was unfair and he didn't want to get us off track. So, you know, for Steve to say that, I believe that from when he, from when he said it, and we had a lot of talk, but we felt, you know, that there, there, all the pieces were there uh, to win, win a championship. We would have to, you know, execute and we would have to, guard, you know, become better defensively. I mean, this is a great defensive team last year. And Mark Jackson, who I was with in Indiana, was great. So we just wanted to build on what had already existed, but the pieces were there and it was really about just maximizing the potential of the whole and trying to grow on it. Steve didn't, didn't mention championship again. We just sort of started down that path. We got off to a great start. You know, we didn't, we didn't foresee that, but we were hopeful. Um, that helped with the belief, helped with, you know, the new offense that we had put in and the movement. Um, and so I think the players started to buy in, um, the belief grew, uh, you know, there was, unfortunately, David Lee got hurt, but it opened up an avenue for Draymond Green to step into that mm-hmm. four, four spot, and um, Draymond was great, he guard multiple players, it changed things, and, um, you know, Steph got, I mean, everyone sort of, the team got off to a great start, it, it, lended itself for belief, which was a key ingredient, and, and our chemistry was really good. So I think as as we grew, you know, we were sort of, we would stop once in a while and say, do you realize that we're, you know, I don't even know what our rep, but we're 26 and four or something. I don't know what those numbers were, but we're like, well, really? Mm-hmm. Like, and we were just kind of going down the road. It wasn't, it wasn't something that we were like looking too far ahead and I don't mean to be cliche-ish but it wasn't like a one game at a time mentality but it was just like we're trying to get better we got to do this we got we have to be better at this it wasn't about the wins and losses as much as it was for us to for us to get where we want to get these are the things that we're going to have to correct our turnovers you know we turned the ball over a lot early and that was a big uh thing that we needed to improve on we needed to execute I mean our offense relies on reads and layers of, of reads. I think, you know, that's the exciting thing about going in next year and the years to come is that we're going to be able to grow on some of those layers and even be better. It doesn't mean the results will be the same necessarily, but we can get even better. So in a, in a micro year, we got better with our offense and the layers got deeper and we started to be able to exploit other teams in certain ways. Um, and I think then, you know, as we came down the stretch, he didn't mention championship again until maybe, um, I think he mentioned it in the Memphis series or uh, a little bit like, look, we have a chance to win this, but this is what's got to happen. And I think he mentioned it again, uh, as crazy as it sounds in the Cleveland series, when we were down two to one. We made some we made some adjustments and created belief and also spoke on what you know. I mean, obviously at that point you're playing for a championship, but mm-hmm. you're there. We can do this. So um, 
I think it was uh, it started from the beginning and we just just grew. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. It was it, it was such a joy to watch all year long. Um, and I know people say that, but the way that you guys defend, the way that you move the ball on offense, uh, the shooters, and the unselfishness of the team. I mean, how guys root for each other uh, from the bench. It, it was really just fun from a fan's perspective. And, you know, there's been times in the league where people have been upset because, you know, the game got slow or there were necessary rule changes to make in order to enhance the, you know, the pleasure of the game. But I think people watching this team could appreciate them on, on so many levels. And just to see, you know, the high basketball IQ, uh, you know, people, it's one of those things when you watch the Celtics and the Lakers in the eighties, fans of those teams got smarter as fans, because they saw the way to play basketball. And I, I felt like the Warriors certainly exemplified this. And I know you played a, a big part in this, even if you're reluctant to, to say it. So uh, congratulations on, on the year that you you had. I, I have one last question to ask you, and that's because you've worked out Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and all these big names throughout the year, Steve Nash, uh, for the youth, uh, for the kids that are playing ball, you know, What's some advice you could give to them in terms of their workout routines when they're doing their basketball workouts? Well, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. Also, it's a tricky question, but I think, you know, you have to, Steph spoke on it in his, uh, in his MVP acceptance speech, but you have to have a passion for what you do. And then you have to put, you have to put the work into it. If you don't have the passion, um, then it's not going to, it's not going to, pay off anyway but I think once you have the passion for the game and you put the work into it then you're off you're off to a really good start you know as far as drills there's no magical drill but I think the the foundation of the shot is ultimately important where there's a, a balanced entry into it with a with a you know sort of a the right finish um, and the right finish meaning you know an extended arm with a follow through and elbow in I mean, there's all these little things that's probably too technical to talk about but you know a fundamentally sound shot is important no no shot is perfect honestly so you don't have to work to get it perfect but the rhythm of that and the balance and the entry and the flow of the shot becomes important and then it's just about putting in the work um, and trying to stretch yourself and I think you know for young players sticking to the basics is more important than trying to do too much. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, you know, Steve Kerr didn't shoot shots in college, even though he's a great three-point shooter, much past 18 feet for his whole his whole time in college as a, in practices. I think if you go back and look at all these guys and what they do, certainly they do some things to stretch themselves and to, you know, extend their range and to shoot off the bounce and those things, but if you look at the core of their workout, it's just straight shots. You know, they always go back to the basics of just catching and shooting and shooting thousands of those and then also shooting, you know, things that sort of push you as a player. But sometimes you'll see young players come to the gym and start trying to do crazy stuff. <laughs> in my experience, um, the guys that are the most successful, the guys that really just strip it back to the core and they build from that. So my my advice would be to keep keep the workout simple and build off of the – of the core, you know, part of them. 
Well, I think it's 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 brilliant. I think people need to start from there, and then uh, hopefully we can bring you back again and, and talk about uh, you know go even deeper in some of the technical stuff because I know I'm a no, junkie I, for that. I, I don't want to sound like I don't want to sound like an expert, but yeah, I mean I'd be happy. To, <laughs> some of that just just personal opinion. It doesn't mean I'm I'm right or wrong. It's just you know my experience through the years with that stuff. Well, it's it seems pretty obvious to me that. Uh, that you have been right a lot more than, than you've been wrong. So Bruce Frazier, uh, Warriors player development coach, uh, thank you so much for uh, all the time and all the great insight, and uh, congrats on your NBA title. Thanks a lot. So Bruce Frazier, so thankful to have him on. Uh, he's really, you know, a guy that's had such an interesting career, and you don't typically see that. Usually coaches follow a, almost a set pattern, grad assistant, then find a, a place on a staff, uh, slowly work their way up in different programs, maybe going to a high major, then taking a higher assistance job at, at a mid-major. And uh, He didn't do that. He, he took a different path. Um, and uh, even, even his playing career, going to play for his dad first at, at the JUCO ranks before moving on to Arizona. But obviously it's worked out for him. He's, he's starting to get more press, more pub. Uh, he's one of the hottest names right now. Uh, amongst NBA uh, coaches, and he's a very talented guy and obviously very bright. And, uh, again, thank you to uh, Bruce Frazier for jumping on the Great Point Podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, at Great Point Pod, and you can follow me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter, at Lives. We really appreciate you listening, and we'll catch up to you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.